crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And that's some, um, that, that footage is just amazing, isn't it? Aaron shot that on, on his drone and found out a valuable lesson that it's illegal to fly a drone in a state park. So <laughs> that's for free for you. It wasn't for us. So um, you're welcome. Hey, uh, if you're new, my name is Ryan Paulson. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and we are in week two. You came on a great Sunday. We're in week two of a series that we're doing on the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. And I'd like to introduce you to Larry Boatwright in high school. Okay, just kidding, just kidding. Um, this is actually a man by the name of Michael Carroll. And Michael Carroll, at the age of 19, won $14.4 million in the lottery. He was a garbage man at the time, just happened to play and happened to win. And over the next decade of his life, from 2002 to 2012, he bought mansions, he bought cars, he bought um, drugs, he bought a number of different things. And in the course of those 10 years, he mowed through $14.4 million and found himself living on government assistance, unemployed. And now today, he makes $511 per week working as a butcher, which begs the question, when we find ourselves in the midst of blessing, what do we do with it? When we find ourselves, quote unquote, at the top, how do we use our resources? See, I think most people, most people would react similarly to Michael Carroll. That if, that if we find ourselves in the midst of flourishing, it should be used for us. We should drink every little piece of that down, and, and it should go to serve to make our lives better, whether it's being popular in high school or whether it's as a nation winning a war. When we do find ourselves at the top, we tend to think it should be used for us, which is exactly what Jesus begins to address in the Sermon on the Mount. If you were here last week, you heard these eight blessings that Jesus gives, these eight statements of wisdom, of grace, of mercy, of invitation to live a life different than anyone had ever seen on the face of the globe. He made these declarations, sort of crazy sounding statements, like when you're poor in spirit, which nobody then and nobody now wants to be, you're blessed. When you find yourself meek, sort of at the, at the bottom of the pile, you're actually, the, that pile's flipped on its head in the kingdom of God, and, and you're blessed. When you're persecuted, there's blessing. That in the midst of, regardless of what situation you find yourself in, if you're in the kingdom, you're blessed. And Jesus' words were dangerous, because you had people who had never heard blessing before. You had people who were used to the social structures and the political structures and the relational structures, or there's certain people that were always on the bottom. And Jesus says to those people, 
you're blessed. And the reverberation of that would have gone off of this mountain, this Sermon on the Mount, and gone into culture and into society at large. And the question is, what happens when it does? Well, Jesus says in verses 10 or 11 and 12 of Matthew chapter 5, well, one of the things that happens is you're going to be persecuted. You want to flip the social societal structures on their head? It's not going to go well for you, so just be ready for that, Jesus says. And the second thing that Jesus says happens is found in verses 13 through 16. Here's how Jesus' people use their blessing. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, Two pictures that Jesus paints, you've, you've probably heard these at some time previously, which makes them dangerous because we may not hear them afresh. He says, you are salt. You're salt. Uh, It was a picture, salt, it was used for flavoring like it is today, but it also was used as a preservative, as a a way to to keep specifically meats fresh. Now remember, refrigeration is roughly 100 years old and canning is roughly 200 years old. So in Jesus's day, how did people keep food fresh? Well, one of the ways they did that was with salt. And Jesus uses this as a metaphor, and the New Testament does all throughout. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your conversations always be seasoned with salt. Yeah. It was a picture of something good, a flavoring, and light. Light is a, a illuminating. Light shines in the darkness. Light provides growth. What are salt and light? What are both of them? Well, they're they're indispensable. You can't live without either of them. Uh, They're also change agents. Anytime light encounters darkness, it shines. Anytime salt encounters some sort of meat or some sort of meal, it changes it, doesn't it? And it changes it irreversibly. You can't go and get that salt off of there. It's, It's definitively different. I've read a number of commentaries on what people think Jesus is talking about, but I don't think we have to look any further than verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your what? Your good works, your good deeds. (laughs) Both salt and light, Jesus is talking about the way that you and I live in his world as change agents as people bringing something that the world definitely and definitively needs. But before we jump to the how-tos, let's just look afresh at what Jesus actually says. Because I think sometimes we read this, you bring salt, you bring light. 
Like you have it in your pocket and every once in a while you take it out and you sprinkle it on a conversation with your friend or your neighbor or your roommate and, or you bring light and every once in a while you sort of, you light that candle and you let it shine. But that isn't what Jesus says, is it? What does he say? You are. You, you are. Like you are these things. When you show up on the scene, You are salt. You are light. And I think sometimes we read this Sermon on the Mount, and and what we walk away with is a bunch of lists of how to try harder and do more. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people who hear that they're blessed when the world says that they are the furthest thing from that, and they are transformed because of what they hear Jesus say. It's not try really hard to be salt or try really hard to be light. It's allow this makarios, that word makarios, which is a Greek word for what? Blessing, blessing. To wash over your life in such a way that when you show up at your family gathering, that when you show up at your workplace, when you show up in your neighborhood park, when you show up to visit your parents in that home. When you show up, you are salt. You are light. Which means that the words of Jesus have to move beyond something that we just agree with, right? You do know that being a follower of Jesus is not just agreeing with Jesus. It's actually taking his words and saying, I'm gonna gonna build a life on these. I'm going to let these sink into my soul in such a way that they shape who I become. So we don't bring salt to sprinkle it. We don't bring light to light a little candle and and shine in the dark. We are those things. And I want to start here because I think the most powerful thing that Jesus can do in your life is speak a word of identity over you. It's to remind you who you are as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. To remind you that regardless of all the things that have gone wrong in your life and all the decisions you wish you could take back and and all of the, you know, if I could rewind, I'd do that differently or I'd stop them from doing that to me and all of those things that we all have. That what transcends every single one of those things, if you are in the kingdom of God, a follower of the way of Jesus, you are blessed. So even in Acts chapter 1, this commissioning Jesus gives to his early disciples, he doesn't say, hey, go and be witnesses. Go and do witnessing. He says, no, 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 you, you are witnesses. It's who you are. You're people who've been transformed by the hope of the gospel. So, so look up at me for just a moment. Before Jesus sends anybody out into the world, he tells them who they are in the world. Before he sends them out, he tells them who they are. And it's a a drink of cold water to the weary soul. And it starts to turn the world upside down. Um, 
Whenever I go to a, a different or new city and I'm looking for a place to eat, I probably do what you do. What do you do? Yelp. That's what I do. Who's with me? Okay. Yeah, and I want to see what other people say about the restaurants that I might spend my money at and the places that I might spend my time at, right? We live in a world where there's a, a flattened sense of publicity with new social media platforms, don't we? I think one of the things that Jesus is saying to this church, to our church, is you're like, you're a walking Yelp review of the kingdom of God. Your life reflects, whether you want it to or not, what you believe about God and what you believe about what he's come to do in and through your life. And Jesus' point in these few verses in the Sermon on the Mount is that people Jesus makes alive are called to cause the world to thrive. To be change agents for good. That when we show up on the scene, there's salt, there's light, which are things that the world needs and things that the world benefits from. And if you're open today, and we just did this exercise and during our worship service, which is, I think, a great exercise to do, just saying, God, I'm, I'm open to receive your blessing that transcends my circumstances and my decisions, but just is simply built on repentance into your kingdom, something starts to happen. Because when you receive God's blessing, you don't have to fight for your own anymore. And when you don't have to fight for your own blessing, for your own pride, for your own platform, when you don't have to do those things and you simply receive his word over your life, something changes in your soul. There's a freedom that begins to happen. And I think we, if we just look out in our world, I think what we see is the longing for blessing that every single one of us carries. And when we don't hear it from Jesus, we have to hear it from others. When we don't receive it from Jesus, we have to get it some way. And if we're not people Jesus has made alive, then we will cause ourselves to thrive rather than the world around us. And Jesus goes, oh, listen, listen, listen. I, I want to release you from all that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The meek. The messed up. The burnt out. The people who've made a mess of their life, oh, man, that my, because my kingdom is here, my blessing is over them. And it changes the entire game. Listen, this is the way Jesus has worked from the beginning, the way that Yahweh has worked from the beginning. Listen to this great, it's called the Abrahamic blessing. Would you say that with me? Abrahamic blessing. It's found in Genesis chapter 12. It says, and the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will what? Bless you. I will make your name great, and you will? So there's a pattern, right? Those who are called to be blessers are first what? Blessed. Blessed. It's the exact same thing that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. I think if Jesus were to teach an evangelism class, he wouldn't start with a technique. He wouldn't start with any sort of, well, here's, here's sort of the Roman's road. Nothing wrong with that, but I just don't think it's where Jesus would start. Why? Because it's not where he started. Where would he start? You're blessed. Regardless of your situation. 
regardless of your, the kingdom of God is present, is here. If you turn and walk into that, you are blessed. Let's start there. Because only people who believe that they are blessed can be a blessing to the world. Which I think might cause us to ask the question, do we believe we're blessed? Do you know that you are? Because that's the thing that makes a life salty. That's the thing that that sort of switches on that that light switch and and lights a light up. It's not some sort of guilt that causes us to get out of our community and do something. It's not some sort of imperialistic endeavor that says we've got to conquer the world for Jesus. That's not what changes lives. What changes lives is people who know that they are his. And then just walk with him into the world that he invites them to live in. See, the lives that we are called to live are shaped by the blessing Jesus says we carry. So, it's impossible, it's impossible to be salt and be light without first knowing that you're blessed. But, it is possible to be blessed and not salt and light. Look at the way that Jesus says it. He says first, let's talk first about salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Which is actually an impossibility. Salt salt can't just lose its saltiness. What happened in Jesus' day was that salt got mixed with a bunch of impurities. That it got just, just watered down. It got diluted amongst a lot of other minerals. So when a salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's just, it's just normal soil after that. It's just been, been so watered down by everything else in its vicinity. So here's what Jesus says. Remember, remember, it is impossible to be a blessing to the world without knowing that you're blessed first by God. But it is possible, it is possible to know you're blessed and to not be a blessing. So here's what Jesus says. Be distinct. Be distinct. Reject conformity. Which can we just all agree that's not exactly popular. (laughs) So lest we think it was popular back in Jesus' day, we should probably take a step back and ask why Jesus is saying this. Because the tendency of those listening to the Sermon on the Mount, just like our tendency, is to go, Jesus, that's a nice idea, but it sounds a little bit dangerous, it sounds a little bit risky, it sounds a little bit like I might be the weirdo. Right? I mean, let's not take it out of its context, but we've got to see that the church is indeed called to be a redemptive alternative in the world. To paint a picture and shine a light of this is what the redeemed community looks like. Um, Peter, one of Jesus' friends in his letter to the church, is, here's the way he says it. But just as he who called you is what? Holy, different, distinct, set apart. So be what? Holy in all that you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Be set apart, be different. Now, Peter's not saying, hey, pull up your bootstraps and try really hard to be holy. 
If you read the first part of the first chapter of 1 Peter, here's what you find out. That because of the resurrection of Jesus, that you've been given a new hope into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, that's kept in heaven for you because of the resurrection of the king from the dead. So he goes, you're different. You are different. Therefore, live in that way. Let me give you, I think, two pictures of what that looks like and what that means. And we're, we're, we are called to be different, to be holy, set apart in the love that we give as followers of the way of Jesus. We're called to be different in the love that we give. From the very get-go, the church was shaped and formed. It grew in the Roman Empire, not because it had the political voting block, not because it had any sort of power. It grew because they showed an extravagant, ridiculous, dangerous love. When the plague broke out and everybody left their own family members literally in the gutter, it was followers of Jesus who came and brought strangers into their home and showed them the love of Christ. It was the, the love that was displayed that caused the church to flourish. That, that's, that's salt. That's different. That's distinct. I started to ask, what, is it, what does it look like in our culture, in our day and time today? I think one of the things it looks like, you heard it on the announcements today, is being an advocate for change from people who are experiencing homelessness. Our, I think our work with Family Promise is a beautiful picture of that. Um, in just a few weeks, July 7th, write that date down, July 7th, as a church, we're partnering with a great organization called Graceful Cafe in downtown Littleton. And they put on a free community breakfast on Saturday mornings. It's for anybody that would want to come, but their ministry is built around providing um, a meal every single day for people even that can't afford it. So homeless people come and you name it, their people are there. And as a church, we just, we believe in their ministry and we, we've said, we want to partner with you guys and, and host and sponsor uh, one of your breakfasts. I think it's a quarter that we're going to do, but July 7th, and we'll need volunteers for that. It's a great way to say we are for the wholeness of our community. Yes? But it's not just the love that early followers of Christian, early followers of Jesus gave. It was, it was the lives that they lived. It was the sexual ethic that they had that was built around monogamy and fidelity. And it wasn't something that they imposed on the rest of the world and said, you've got to live this way too. They, they said, listen, because of the teaching of Jesus, because of the words of Jesus, we're convinced that this is the best way to live and let us show you what a world like this might look like. It wasn't you've got it wrong. It was let us show you. Let us show you. So Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, listen, it's not our job as followers of the way of Jesus to judge the world. It's our job to make sure our house is in order, to, to, to be that light. Man, so their, their lights shine. Their integrity and business dealings was one of the things that early um, non-followers of Christ notice about the church is... They're not shady. Like what they say goes in business. They don't try to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. They're, they're just what you see is what you get. And it was so different. It was them saying, listen, we're, we're going to be distinct. We're going to be different. And we're going we're gonna to shine. My, um, my wife had a 
interesting experience at work a few weeks ago. Um, she, she's, she's amazing at what she does. I can say that. She's not here this service, so she won't get embarrassed. She'll be here next service, so I'll say it differently then. But she's amazing. Um, I don't want it to go to her head, you know. Um, and recently, she got, a, she got a promotion at her job, at her workplace, and she's, um, she's a teacher, and, and she got promoted to being a building coach. And so she's sort of in administration, and she's a um, professional learning specialist at Mountain View High School. And because she got this job, there was a number of people that didn't get the job. And one of those people approached Kelly um, a few weeks ago and just made some really personal attacks on her. Uh, you're going to be lonely in this job. You're going to be lonely at home. Your world's going to fall apart and all these things. And, and so I'm like, oh, no, you don't, right? Like, and I'm like, and what did well, you say to her, right? And she's like, I told her, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I'm like, uh-huh, and then what? <laughs> right? Like, I'm going through all the stuff I would have said, right? And she's like, no, I just left it at that. And I'm like, well, don't you know, like, you should have said something else. And so, it's like, I kid you not, this woman is a staunch um, hater of followers of Jesus, thinks that we're all hypocrites, okay? And she sent her a follow-up email a few weeks later. And she said, I just wanted to thank you for the way that you responded to me. Nobody's done that for me before. I was hurting, and I lashed out at you. And I'm really sorry. And I thought to myself, that's, that's salt. It wasn't, you know, her with a bullhorn in front of her school saying Jesus is Lord. It was just living in the way that Jesus would live if he were her. Like, to, to turn the other cheek. Sounds a lot like Jesus. So the question, I don't tell you that to tell you she's amazing, although I think she is. The question is, how might, how might we bring salt into the conversations that we have? Into the love that we give and the lives that we live? What, what might that look like? How might we reject fear? How might we reject judgment and ask the question, not what's distinct about my beliefs, but what's different about my life? Okay, let me, let me just, can, can I say that again? I don't want us to miss that because I think that's important. I think the Spirit of God is, is, is on that in some way. That we're not, surely our, our beliefs are different, but that's not the question that we have for the world around us. It's not, and, and for the way that we interact with the world, it's not, it's not what's distinct about my beliefs, it's what's distinct about my life. How am I different? Because of the words, the teaching, the life of Jesus. So he says you can get, you can get unsalty because you're just so contaminated. And he says reject that. Second, verse 14. Jesus says this. You are the light of the world. You're a town built on a hill and it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So the first picture is of salt getting contaminated. The second picture is of a light being what? Hidden. Hidden. I was um, at the IMAX a few weeks ago with my kiddos at the Denver Museum of Natural History, and there's this big sign that comes up before it, like, everybody turn off your phones. We do not want the light to contaminate the darkness, right? And I had just started an email exchange with a person on our staff about something that we really needed to get done. 
And so I saw that come up and I'm like, oh, I got to hurry, right? And so I'm sending this last email and I'm about to put it in my pocket and I hear it ping me back and I'm like, oh crud. So I'm, I am breaking the rules, okay? And I'm texting during the IMAX. And I'm sure she's a really nice lady. Um, and she happened to be sitting right behind me. And she tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, but this is a no phone zone. And I said, you know where you can put... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't. But I think a lot of us, we, we hear these words of Jesus, and I think that's sort of our posture towards the world that we live in. Like, we're going to keep our light really close, or we're going to just put it in our pocket, or we believe that the world is a no-light zone, and Jesus goes, no, 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 no. That's the easy way out. Don't do that. Let your light shine. Don't, don't hide it. Let it shine. Let the blessing that God has bestowed on your life, let it shine. Let the way of his kingdom shine. Let it move through you. And it's been the calling for those who follow the way of God from the beginning. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant people and a, what? A light for the Gentiles. Notice this light is evangelistic in nature. It's, it's shining the goodness of God to those who haven't heard it. Isaiah chapter 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your what? Light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. It's a picture of what happens when the kingdom comes on people. People long for this. People hope for this. So Jesus' message to us is be engaged. Be engaged with the world around you, with the culture around you, with the people around you. Don't move towards obscurity. Resist that. That's going to be a temptation. Just know it. It's going to be more comfortable to just gather around people that think the same way as you, look the same way as you, believe the same things as you. And Jesus goes, don't go there. Don't hide your light. The world needs it. It's the exact same thing Jesus said as he prayed for his followers. My prayer is not, he said, that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He sent you in the same way that he was sent. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian, put it. He said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. He's going, you cannot follow Jesus and drift into obscurity. It doesn't work that way. That, that, that blessing, that light, that good is way too important to just cover up. You gotta, this little light of mine, I'm gonna what? Let it shine. I'm gonna let it shine. I met a man by the name of Julius Asher this week. He um, just walked into the church and I happened to be around, and he needed to talk to a pastor, and so we had the chance to sit down and talk. 
And Julia shared with me that he's a refugee, a religious refugee from Pakistan. And that he came to the U.S. through the U.N., uh, first in Hong Kong and then to the U.S., and he's been here for four years. He's driving Uber. His Uber ran out of gas, and he had no money to pay for, to fill up his car to work. So he had the chance, before I filled up his car for him, before you all filled up his car for him, um, I had the chance to talk with Julius and just hear a little bit of his story. Um, he's from Pakistan and spent five years in jail because he was handing out Bibles on the streets in Pakistan. Bibles in Arabic, which is a violation for them. And here's what he said to me. He looked me in the eyes and he said, Ryan, I, I can't tell you, I'm, I'm the lucky one. Because most people who are in my position and are thrown in prison because of a religious offense in Pakistan never see the light of day again. He said, but, but I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. And I thought to myself, Man, at times it's hard for me to have a conversation with my neighbors about Jesus. How about you? Right? And it was the Lord, I think, just brought Julius to just remind me of what this looks like. To be salt, to be light, to shine, to not move towards obscurity, even when it's costly and even when it's dangerous. And, and, and I just wanted to just throw this on us for at least a, a thought exercise to ask Jesus... Um, are there people in your life who aren't followers of the way of Jesus that you have meaningful relationships with? Not that are projects, but that you love and, and whose lives you're invested in. Are you, are you light? Do people know you follow the way of Jesus? Let's be committed, friends, not to drifting into obscurity, but to saying back to Jesus, we want to be engaged, we want to love well this world that you have placed us in. Jesus did this, didn't he? The woman at the well comes to him, she's broken, her life's a mess, he makes room for her in a place and time where he should not have done that. A woman whose son is, um, or a woman who's bleeding, has been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus is on his way. He's got his task list. He's on the move, and he stops in order to love her salt and light. Jesus sees a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. There's Pharisees who want to stone her, and Jesus gets in between the Pharisees and this woman, starts to write in the sand. We have no idea what he writes, but we do know this. What's he being sunlight. He's bringing hope. He's breathing hope. He's engaged with the world around him. And I believe he's inviting you and I to be the same. And here's how he concludes. It's an interesting conclusion. It may not be the way that we would conclude it post-Reformation, but it's the way Jesus concludes it. Listen to what he says, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they might see your what? Your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say people will hear your good words. He doesn't say people will hear your great theology. Because the reality is, even though it's there, they may not hear it. But what they will not be able to ignore 
is your life. What they will not be able to ignore is the way that your life, salt and light, points to his kingdom. I'm convinced that people must see God on display through us before they hear the words of God through us. We've got to bring a melding back together of both practice of living life in the kingdom and proclamation, the kingdom is here. The dividing of those two has killed us. So Jesus' point, here it is. Good deeds, which you and I are invited to live out. And can we all just say, like, before we make this into legalism, let's just, do, let's just quickly identify, is it more enjoyable to do good deeds or bad deeds? It's better to do good deeds, isn't it? I mean, Jesus just wants to align us with the way that the world works. It's not that we earn anything from God. It's that we are released to live life with God, to live life with God. I love the way that 1 Peter says it. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, each one of us, friends, are people who represent the kingdom of God. It's like an employee who shows up to represent their company for a business deal. They're wearing the shirt. They got the hat on. They're trying to sell whatever they're selling. You and I aren't trying to peddle anything, but we represent the kingdom of God. The question is, when people see our lives, what do they see? What do they experience? Do they experience people who are moving towards a freedom from anger, a a fidelity in relationships, an honoring of marriage, a a confidence that they can believe our words, a, a love that's displayed that goes beyond what the rest of the world sees. Is that what they see in us? Do they see salt and light? I have a friend, you you may know her. Um, Her name's Jody Brown. She goes to church here. I don't see her in this service. If you're here, can you? She usually sits in that area, okay. Um, And I asked her if I could share this story with you because I thought it was just a great picture of what it looks like to live as salt and light in right here and right now. She, uh, every time we've talked about Joy International, she just has a heart for that ministry and, and what Dr. Jeff Brodsky and his team are doing to help girls who are in um, situations where they're being trafficked. And she just wanted to figure out some way to help. She also loves going to escape rooms, okay? And so she, she turned her basement over the course of three months. She did all this research, got, gathered all this re- these resources uh, from thrift stores around us, and um, she turned her basement into an escape room in order to raise money. It's a fundraiser. In order to raise money to give to Joy International, her goal is to raise $1,200 for Joy International before they do the barefoot mile in July. I love that. I love that. If you're interested in going to Jody Brown's escape room to raise money for Joy International, there's a website. You can jot it down. She would love to have you come and try to break out of her basement. (laughs) But I thought, you know what? That's such a great picture of using the passion that you have and the resources that you have with the conviction you have to be light and salt in our world and saying, man, what can I do? What can I do to let my light shine? What can you do? Who can you be 
How might the gospel that's gotten in you get out of you? Friends, let's be a community who practices this, who's salt and who's light. Would you stand up with me? We're going to sing one last song together, but before we do that, I want us to do something just a little bit different, okay? You okay with different? And something maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Not as many hands. Okay. Um, Here's what I want us to do. I want us to close our our time. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to invite you to just wherever you are um, to either turn around or to stay and not turn around. But I want us to get together with a few other people. And I just want us to spend a few minutes praying. And I want us to ask Jesus that he would make us salt and light, that we would be people who shine his light, that we would be people who, as we show up, we carry his light into any situation that we find ourselves in. So maybe you might be uncomfortable praying out loud. That's okay. You don't have to pray, but I want to take some time for us as a community to just say to Jesus, make it so, make it so.